Hi friends and welcome to Robcast number 46. This one is called The Futility and the Fire. And I just want to give a big shout out to everybody listening in Australia and all of my UK friends listening in England and Ireland and Scotland and all the friends listening in Iraq and Iceland. And uh, those of you who are right now stuck in traffic sitting there in your car and those of you who are working out and those of you who are home with a baby, uh, man, love and grace and peace to all of you. I'm so uh, happy that you're listening. And uh, just before we jump into the futility and the fire, I do these two-day gatherings here in Los Angeles that are literally some of the most rewarding things I've ever done. And um, three of them are coming up in January at the Viper Room. One of them is on um, art and the creative process. One is on spiritual leadership and one is on business. And it's all about helping you find your groove, thinking through um, calling and passion and work-life balance and understanding your interior life and what's happening in the world and why does it seem like faith and spirituality are going through these massive reinventions. And uh, one of my goals in doing these events is to get all of you in the same room, because then you find out that you're not alone, and to create a space where you can ask all the questions that you don't have space right now where you can ask those questions. And uh, so anyway, all that info about the January Viper Room events are on uh, at robbell.com, and then I am thrilled to let you know that I'm going to be doing a Christmas show at Largo Club here in Los Angeles on December 21st, and uh, so all that info, you can go to the Largo site and um, tickets and all that, and this, I'm telling you, it's called a revolutionary Christmas, and the thing I've got planned, good lord, it's going to be fun. So. Um, would love to see you there as well. And now we have to get into this futility and fire thing because I am, well, I'm fired up about this. So here's what I want to do. In this podcast, I want to take you through a prayer. It's a prayer that's found in the Old Testament. It's a prayer from a man named Jeremiah, and it's a sort of an obscure passage in the Bible. And maybe you don't have a lot of familiar with the Bi- familiarity with the Bible. Maybe you have a hard time with the whole God uh, Jesus faith thing. I totally get it, but let me tell you this prayer and what it says and teaches us about what it means to be human. Um, it's just lately got me thinking about all sorts of things, and um, it's one thing leads to another, and this truth sort of takes you into this, and it's just, there's so much. So, what I want to do is take you through the prayer, then I want to give you a bit of a background on where this prayer comes from. And then from there, I want to just pull out a couple of things that that have really helped me about uh, unresolved tension in life. And I want to talk about anger and rage and hatred and the things that sort of churn within us that we don't sometimes quite know what to do with and they end up expressing themselves in all sorts of weird ways. And then I want to talk about your interior life. We'll probably start there. And then um, at the end, I want to talk about the relationship between futility and fire. So 
The prayer is found in the book of Jeremiah, sort of in the very middle of the Bible. And Jeremiah begins his prayer like this. He says, you deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction. But the word of God has brought me insult and reproach all day long. Now, first line of the prayer, you deceived me, God, and I was deceived. Now, what's really interesting to me is that some translations don't translate the word deceived from the original Hebrew word. They translate it, God, you coerced me. Some say, Lord, you enticed me and I was enticed. Some say you persuaded me, but some translations translate it seduced. You seduced me, God, and I was seduced. You overpowered me and prevailed. Notice it's almost like a, like a sexual, violent language. Jeremiah opens his prayer with a rant, with anger, with wound. God, you deceived me. I was deceived. You seduced me. You overpowered me. You prevailed. And now all that happens is I'm insulted all day long, and you brought this on me. That's how the prayer starts. He's just letting his God have it. Now, maybe you have questions about, you know, all the basic questions about how can there be a God, and what do you, what is prayer, who are you praying to, how does all that work? Maybe you don't believe any of it. I got you. I'm with you, but just stay with the story with me for a minute, because what we're doing is we're trying to learn more about what it means to be human. Now, a bit of background on this prayer. Jeremiah comes from a Jewish tribe who had this promise deep in the bones of their people because their sort of founding patriarch father was Abraham, and Abraham has many sons, and many sons has Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so are you. <laughs> Genesis 12 way early in the Bible. And if you're new to the Bible, there's this really interesting story that unfolds over the course of the Bible. Because this man, Abram, is told that he is going to be the father of a nation, he's going to be blessed, and his nation, is his tribe, his family is going to bless all the other tribes. Now, this was a brand new idea because tribes always are about themselves. Tribes naturally veer towards self-preservation. Tribes default to, are we meeting the bottom line? Is enough money coming in with offerings? By the way, do you like that little subtle thing right there? You see what I'm talking about? Tribes generally have a center of gravity, which is their own self-preservation, protecting themselves. You go to battle in order to protect yourself, in order to vanquish the enemy so they are no longer a threat. This is why, by the way, a lot of those passages in the Hebrew scriptures talk about so-and-so had this many tents and this many uh, donkeys and this many fighting people. It's because tribes are about survival and preservation and forming alliances with other tribes to protect you against tribes that would be a threat to you. But this story is about a brand new idea in human history. So when Abraham is told, through you, all the other tribes are going to be blessed, saying your goal as a, the point of your tribe is to transcend simply the self-preservation of your own tribe, but to move beyond yourself for the blessing of other tribes. 
This was a brand new idea. And this story, this promise, this possibility is planted early, early in the scriptures. Now, obviously to this day, our world is racked with tribal conflict. So we haven't lived up to this ideal to this day. But the ideal is planted early in the bones of Jeremiah's people. And so even one prophet even spoke of how to his, to his fellow Jewish tribe about being a light to the Gentiles. Gentiles basically was a word for everybody who wasn't Jewish. So this constant understanding that we are here to bless everybody who isn't like us, that we would bless our neighbors, that we would do good for the other. So what will your tribe do? Will your tribe simply live to protect and preserve its own interests, or will your tribe move beyond itself to bless others? And what you find in the Bible again and again and again is this tribe loses their way. They actually build a temple to their God using slave labor. They begin exploiting the poor. A gap increases between the rich and poor, and it gets wider and wider and wider. Those in power begin to use their position to increase their wealth and solidify their standing. Even the high priests who were in charge of the temple, whose job was to preserve and keep alive this story, began to take the taxes that religious people would pay at the temple and give and donate at the temple and keep it for themselves when the money was intended to be handed out to the poor. Things get so bad, this tribe so po- they, they so horrifically lose their way that they begin offering their children as child sacrifices to other gods. And so by the time you get to Jeremiah, these people who had been given this vision of a tribe that exists to bless all other tribes had so lost their way that they were now essentially aping the customs of their neighbors and offering their children in the fire as offerings to other gods. So what happened, and this is a major moment in the stories of the Bible, and it's also a major moment in human history, because these prophets rise up to speak against these abuses and this exploitation. It's like the original rage against the machine. This is the original 1% and 99%. And if uh, you, you are familiar with the phrase social justice, which we often use when we speak of oppression and injustice and abuse, some people believe that these Hebrew prophets were the first articulate wording and defiance and essentially voicing of social justice in, in history. These prophets rise up and they begin to warn the power structures and they begin to warn the priestly class and they begin to warn those who have their hand on the wheel. You can't keep doing this. You are going to essentially, this is going to lead to your downfall. And so these prophets rose up and they warned the people in charge. This is not going to end well. Now the neighbors, there were some neighbors called the Babylonians who were sort of the global military superpower of the day. And Jeremiah had said, if you keep on this course, inevitably the Babylonians are gonna come and crush you. 
This is going to be your end. You cannot exploit the poor. You cannot offer child sacrifices. You cannot ignore the needs of real everyday people in your midst who you are entrusted to care for. You can't do this without paying the price. And so Jeremiah, along with other prophets, rises up and he's beaten and he's publicly humiliated. He's put in stocks. And he's the person who does this is the priest who's in charge of the temple. The priest, the high priest, who is supposed to be the one who is looking out for all the poor and lost and disenfranchised, is so threatened by Jeremiah speaking out that he has Jeremiah beaten and then put in stocks so he can be publicly humiliated, which is why Jeremiah talks about he proclaims violence and destruction and uh, all he does is get insulted. And so this is where the prayer comes from, is Jeremiah is angry and he's full of rage because he feels betrayed. His prayer is like, I spoke up for truth. I spoke up for, for dignity. I spoke up for what's right, for the honor of being a human being. I spoke up against violence. I spoke up against child sacrifice. And I got beaten for it? And he essentially says, God, I gave them the message you wanted me to give them. And all that it's brought me is insult and beatings. So he's full of anger and rage, but it's also mixed in with grieving and loss. What happened to my tribe? What happened to my people? How did it end up so upside down? By the way, if you've ever felt like you were part of a tribe that didn't get it, a tribe that had become a force for bad, not a force for good, if you've ever felt like you were raised in a tribe that felt familiar, but when you kept going, it felt like they stayed behind and actually became part of the problem, then you, you know some of this feeling of loneliness, this feeling like, what happened to my tribe? It feels like they're flying upside down. Like, this is where I come from. These were my people. And yet, what happened? So he unleashes on God, on his understanding of God, on his God who he believed is the one who had told him, had called him, had put within him this impulse to speak out against the system, to speak truth to power. And so he essentially says, I did the right thing. I spoke out. I took a stand. I was courageous. I resisted that which I had to resist. And this is what I get for doing the right thing. Anybody ever felt like that? You did the right thing. You held out for truth, for honor, for dignity. You were courageous. You resisted something that should be resisted. And what you got was you got beaten, you got mocked, you got ridiculed. So that's why Jeremiah begins this prayer with this unleashing, you seduced me, God. You deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. Essentially, I did the right thing, and all it's done is blown up in my face. Now, the prayer has, in some ways, three 
parts to it. We'll, we'll come back to this to another part right in here, but there's like these three parts to it. There's this first part where he just unleashes. He's angry, he's hurt, he's wounded, he feels betrayed. Uh, he says, I hear many whispering terror on every side. Denounce him, let's denounce him. All my friends are waiting for me to slip. It's this feeling of being closed in like everybody's turned on him. And then, this is so, honestly, it's so weird. Then all of a sudden, in his prayer, he completely shifts gears and he says, but the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. So my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will fail and be thoroughly disgraced. He suddenly launches into this, God is good, uh, Lord Almighty, you who examine the righteous. Then he says, sing to the Lord, give praise to the Lord. All of a sudden he busts out like this, almost like a song of like how good God is and God, um, God rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. So the prayer begins with just pure, unadulterated rage and wounded anger, shaking his fists at the heavens. All of a sudden, in the middle of the prayer, he completely shifts gears. But God is mighty. God will fight for me. Everybody sing to God. Give praise to the Lord. It sounds like a church song from the 80s you know what i mean like you, you just all of a sudden it's this very positive buoyant but i'm gonna be fine god is on my side and then after the god rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked the sing praise to the lord give praise to the lord line then the next line is cursed be the day i was born May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. And then he says, uh, I wish God would have killed me in the womb with my mother as my grave, her womb enlarged forever. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame? And that's how the prayer ends. <laughs> that's the prayer. The prayer is, you deceived me, you overpowered me, you seduced me, and now everybody wants violence for me and I'm insulted all day long. God is so good. God fights for me. God's on my side. God's a warrior. Everybody sing praise to how good God is. I wish I'd never been born. I wish the man who brought my father news of my birth had not done anything like that. I wish I'd been killed in the womb. Will I, why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame? That's the prayer. That's it. That's how it ends. It goes rage and then this sort of buoyant confidence and then back to rage and mourning that he'd ever been born. I think it's safe to say that this fella is all over the place. Are you with me? Because usually the prayer would be, it's really tough. I don't know if I'm going to make it, but then God saved me and oh, isn't God great, right? That's how normally the progression goes. It was tough. I was struggling. Everywhere I turned, there were challenges and obstacles, but then, thank you, God, you got me out of it. But this one starts anger and rage. Then it goes in to positive, and then it goes back, and that's how it ends. So, of course, raises all sorts of interesting questions. So I want to talk about interiors, prayers, tensions, futility, and fire. So first, interiors. Let's start with the very personal. Do not fear 
your interior life. That's one of the things that most jumps out to me about this prayer and why I find it so powerful. There's all this anger, rage, joy, confusion, bewilderment, betrayal. There's all that churns inside of us. And what you see in the prayer is that Jeremiah embraces all of it and he speaks all of it and he and he essentially names all of it and he's honest about all of it. So here's the thing. Do not fear your interior life and stop judging everything that's going on inside of you. There's all these things going on inside of you. Embrace what is. So what is prayer? Prayer is ripping open your rib cage so that your heart can breathe. Anger, rage, joy, euphoria, you name it and speak it and you give words to it so that it's not churning down there in the depths of your being. You want someone to be healed. You want someone to suffer for what they've done. You want clarity for a decision or destruction for an enemy or you're grateful for the breath you just took. Prayer is the practice of ruthless honesty about what is going on inside of you, the good, the violent, all that you want and all that you're grateful for and all that you don't want anyone to know about. You drag it all up and you vent it and you confess it and you give thanks for it and you rant about it, you express it in all its ragged reality. See, for some people, prayer is just asking for stuff. And then the questions, it raises all sorts of questions like, why didn't I get it? Or why did, I don't even believe in that sort of God anyway, that there's some God somewhere else like a vending machine. And if you just put in certain requests in the right order or with the right amount of passion or faith and certain things, you have to, if you ask bad questions, you'll get bad answers. The power of this prayer is that Jeremiah speaks all that's going on inside of him. And see, when you do that, then it's no longer churning down inside of you. You've brought it up. And so part of learning to pray well, which means part of learning to be a healthy human being, is naming your interiors and then listening to your life without judgment. It's exhausting to raise kids. Anybody with me on that? Sometimes you can be with this person you love more than anyone else in the universe, and you can also get insanely angry with them. Anybody knows what I'm talking, know what I'm talking about? Some days you don't want to get out of bed. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that's how life actually is. And if we keep editing everything that's going on inside of us, only bringing up the things that we think pass some sort of uh, approval filter. What happens then is we have a whole world of things churning within us that are going to be expressed somehow. So that's what happens. Do you ever have a moment when you snapped at somebody, you literally completely lost your cool, and it was totally out of proportion to whatever the event was, let's say traffic, somebody cuts you off, 
and and you find rage in there that is so much bigger than simply somebody cut you off in traffic. It's because you have anger, we have rage, we have betrayal, we have wounds, we have hurt, we have all the stuff that's in there, and if we don't express it, then it's just waiting for some sort of conflict, some sort of occasion, some sort of moment to actually express itself. The power of Jeremiah's prayer is he says exactly what he's thinking and feeling. He doesn't edit. Prayer is when you get rid of your edit button. You rip open that rib cage so that your heart can breathe. So when people ask questions like, do you think, do you think you know God answers prayer or, or I asked for some stuff and it didn't happen? That is such an unbelievably shallow understanding of prayer. Prayer is when you tap into and give name and expression to everything that you're thinking. You want a new car? Then name it and say it, <laughs> okay? If you wanna, that, yes, do it then. If you want somebody to be healed, you pray for them to be healed. You take all the things that are inside of you and you drag them up and you give you language. Of course that changes things. It changes you, if nothing else, your power your will, your intention has extraordinary energy in the universe. That's why people say they can feel prayers. Of course you can feel prayers. You have a will and intentions and you can direct them towards things. And when you drag them, all that stuff up, then it's no longer in there. And one of the things to me that I find so compelling about the Jeremiah prayer is that he says all this stuff and it doesn't and resolved. The prayer doesn't end with, but I know that everything's going to be great. The prayer ends with, I wish I'd never been born. And then it's over. He doesn't end with, you know what? I'm being beaten and I'm being imprisoned and I'm being publicly humiliated because I'm saying that child sacrifice is wrong. Like that's what I'm saying. How upside down is everybody around me that me saying child sacrifice is wrong is somehow making me the one who gets beaten for saying that? How completely whacked is this? I wish I'd never been born to have to see something like this. And then that's how it stays, unresolved. The high priest doesn't suddenly come and say, I'm so sorry for beating you. You're right, you have a point. No, it's unresolved. The power of the prayer is that sometimes some situations and some things in life are unresolved, they don't get fixed. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And it just stays that way. It's interesting, um, the recent forgiveness series that I did, an extraordinary number of you sent in questions that basically said, I understand boundaries, I understand protecting myself, it's just that I have this person in my life and we're going to be in each other's lives for a while. I can't really get them out of my life. And so I'm learning how to protect myself from them. I'm trying to forgive them. I'm learning about boundaries. I'm learning about loving from a distance, but I still have this person who is so nasty and so mean. It's the brother-in-law, it's the ex-spouse, it's the new spouse of the ex-spouse, it's the coworker who just won't let up with the mean little nasty, sharp, barbed comments that is unresolved, they're going to be in your life for a while, it hasn't been fixed, and there is a tension there. And so 
Uh, what I noticed for many of you is the question was, what do I do with this tension? And part of the power of, of this prayer for me is that it ends with the tension. There is this tension here. There is a problem. There is a pain. There is something unresolved, and it doesn't appear like it's going to get fixed anytime soon. And so part of the prayer is the vent, venting, the rage, the expressing, the frustration and confusion. Jeremiah just gets it all out. And so for many of us, part of prayer is just get it all out. Everything you think about this person, all the ways that you feel about them, every sort of anger and rage that they draw out of you, get it all out. Get it all out. Name it. Write it down. Speak it. Speak it. But then here's the thing. Here's the thing. You will notice if you learn to pray well, if you aren't hiding from your interior life, you don't fear your interior life, but you listen to your interiors and you pay careful attention to what's going on inside of you. And instead of judging it and stuffing it and repressing it, you actually let it come up and come out. You actually get a journal and you write that stuff down. You sit in silence and you actually speak it. You go for a run and you actually say while you're running all of the things that you actually are thinking about this person, all of the ugly, nasty things you would never want anybody to know you actually harbor in your brain and mind and heart. You just get it out. Here's the thing. As you do that and you express it, you will be pushed to a whole nother level of health because something's going to begin to happen, and I promise you this is what is ha will happen, is the tension and all that unresolved, awkward, you're going to have to see them next week when you do the transfer of the kids after visitation, right? You're gonna have to see them when you go to the annual meeting. You're gonna see them at the family reunion. Here's what's happening. Is that tension, the fact that the person is still in your life, nothing you can do about it. The tension is going to shape you because as you express all of these feelings so they're no longer deep inside of you, you're gonna to begin to ask the question, how is this going to form me? Is this an obstacle? Because I've always seen it as an obstacle to health, to joy, to happiness. Is this an obstacle or is this an invitation? Because we've always seen these things as a problem to be solved. But when you realize apparently this problem isn't going to be solved anytime soon and you sit in the unresolved tension and anxiety of it, you begin to see a whole new level of understanding, which is this is an invitation for me to allow this unresolved pain and tension to shape me into a better person. And trust me on this, if you can stay there and you can hold that place and you can move from obstacle to invitation, you will begin to find yourself thinking about even your worst enemies, even the people who you most wish you never had to see again. You'll begin to discover that everyone is your teacher. Everyone. That everyone can teach you something. And some of the people that you hate the most, some of the people who most make me mental, I have people in my life who I see regularly who completely drive me. I know they're going to say something that is going to piss me off at such an, uh, an existential level that I will replay what they say over and over and over for weeks to come. But if you can name this and see it and drag it all up, 
and ask, how is this person my teacher? And you can let them teach you about yourself, about how to be stronger, about how to be more resilient, how to be more flexible, how to see their wounds and their pain. If you can get to the point where you can laugh at their predictability, you know they're gonna say something offensive and seven minutes in they say something offensive and suddenly you're no longer bristling ready to throw down but you're smiling like, oh my word, they're like reading from a script. If you can move to that place, it is an extraordinary, extraordinary experience, but it will only happen if you do not fear your interior life, but you drag all that stuff up. If you have a something, if you feel like you were betrayed by the universe, if you feel like you were deceived by your God, if you feel like life fundamentally overpowered you and took from you, you just say that, say all of it, all of the deepest, darkest stuff, just get it out. Now, there is this line that Jeremiah has in the prayer. It's sort of in the first of those three parts. It's after the you deceive me, but it's before the, but God is good and God will save me part. He says this. He says, uh, so the word of God that he's been speaking, he's been calling the people out about this injustice and violence. He says, it's brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say, I will not mention God's word or speak any more in his name. His word is like a heart is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. He says, I've been speaking this truth. I've been calling out this injustice. I've been calling my people back to their original calling to be a blessing to the world. And all it's brought me is public beatings and humiliation and shame and scorn. But if I were to not speak, if I were to hold it in, it's in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in, in I am weary of holding it in, indeed I cannot. He essentially says doing this is just about killing me. The only thing worse would be to not do it. Oh, and by the way, when he talks about God's word, in Jewish consciousness, the word for word is the Hebrew word davar. The root letters are D-V-R, davar, with an, and then the A's, the vowels are supplied later. So davar is the Hebrew word for word, but davar also means thing. So in, in Hebrew thought and in the etymology of the word, the word for word also means is the same word as the word for thing. Here's why that's interesting. When it reads God's word and when you hear about God's word, in Jewish consciousness, God's word wasn't something that somebody typed out. Printing press didn't come till the 1400s, correct? Word wasn't like a Bible you'd find in, in your hotel room that someone named Gideon had put there. Word was an active creating, animating energy in the universe. So when uh, the ancient Hebrews talked about the creation of the world, how did they talk about it? They talked about the divine speaking things into existence. Words, as the great Abraham Joshua Heschel said, words create new worlds. So in Jewish consciousness, words aren't just like letters on a page. Words are life-giving energy of the universe. 
So when Jeremiah speaks of having God's word burning in his heart, it's that ongoing creation of the world sort of energy. It's that energy that says there's something new to build here, something new to say here, something new to speak about. And so word is much more a dynamic living, what is it that's in you that you have to speak? You might use actual words, but it's how your life speaks. What is it that you're here to do? What is it that you are here to do and you have a sense that this calling, this tug, this call, this voice, this whisper is deeper than just, hey, I'll think all that, do this today but it comes from somewhere else. When when Jeremiah talks about his word, he is talking about that feeling we have. Do you ever have that feeling like you're being carried along? Like you have a call or a mission or a cause or a purpose to your life, a story that goes way beyond you? Like there's this thing you know you're supposed to do because it somehow, it lines you up with the flow of the universe? It's, it's not that you're just doing it because it's, it's socially acceptable or it's the proper thing to do or your parents told you you're supposed to do it. It's that thing that's in you that you know that if you don't do it, you are somehow not being true to who you truly are. And so Jeremiah has this line where he says, I'm doing the thing that I'm here to do. And if I don't, I am so, if I were to like, it'd be like keeping a fire in my bones. I can't, I'm weary of doing it, but the only thing more weary of doing than doing this would be to not do it because I could try to not speak. I could try to hold this fire in, but I couldn't. So what he's essentially saying is he's saying, this resistance is futile. (laughs) I'm speaking out against a system that's so corrupt It's flying upside down. I'm not getting any results here. The numbers and metrics aren't good. It's not up and to the right. If this was a business, it would have declared bankruptcy a long time ago. I'm not actually changing this thing. The thing is beating me and it's imprisoning me and it's humiliating me publicly. So my efforts are futile, but I can't not do it because it's like a fire in my bones. Here's the thing, my brothers and sisters. Resistance is holy. Resistance is sacred. When there is this thing that you know you are here to do and you just keep doing it, there is a holy sacred power in that. And what happens sometimes is we jump into it, especially when we're young, we're much more confident that we can change the world. And so we go out and we decide we're gonna change the world and we find out that changing the world is actually really, really hard, right? And it's easy to get cynical and it's easy to get burned out and it's easy to get filled with despair and it's easy to partner with people who stab you in the back and it's easy to find out that some people can't be trusted. And so what happens is you find yourself flirting with futility. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You find yourself wondering, what's the point of any of this? You find yourself wondering, why did I used to think that this could be done? And so there's a temptation to become one more jaded person who's just going through the motions. But here's the thing, when you find yourself flirting with futility, with the idea that you're just wasting your time, don't back away from that futility. 
go all the way into it. Name it and describe it and feel it. Dance with it. Embrace it. Don't don't deny the futility. Don't walk away. Don't ignore it. Don't pretend like it's not there. No, no, no. Here's the thing. Go even farther into the futility. Absolutely, unequivocally embrace the idea that all of your efforts may be totally useless. Because when you do, you're now getting to the thing that's in your heart like a fire, a fire shut up in your bones. What is the thing you're here to do that if the only results you got were being beaten and humiliated, something within you would be like, yeah, but I got to keep doing this. It's like a fire in my bones that if I try to keep it in, I cannot. I am weary of holding it in. What is the thing that you do because somehow it's so true to who you are that if you were to not do it, you would be violating your sense of who you really are? You do that and you will find joy that is infinite and bottomless because now you are being driven by a whole new power and force. And what Jeremiah does in the middle of this prayer is he drops this little line where he basically says, I'm probably going to get beaten again. I'm probably going to end up back in prison. I may get killed. I'll definitely get beaten. I'm not going to make any more friends doing this. But if I were to not do it, now that is impossible because this is what I'm here to do. It's like a fire in my heart, a fire in my bones that I can't keep in. I'm weary from holding it in. So maybe you started out all confident, all hopeful, and now you've sort of found yourself flirting with the futility of whatever it is that you do. Go all the way into it. Pray that stuff out. Name it. And then ask yourself, what is the fire in my bones? What is the thing that the truth is I can't imagine not doing it? And you live from that place. If you live from success and outward measures and how many people love you, that will come and go. You may be loved, you may be hated, people may care, people may not. But if you can get that honest and that raw and you can see your own interiors with that kind of clarity, you discover that there is a fire in that futility. And that fire, that heat, that can keep you going for a long, long, long time. Any negation of life you resist, any exploitation, any degradating movement against humanity. Anything that dehumanizes, we resist. We stand up against. We say, no, I will not participate in that. You stand against it. You lean against it. You fight against it. And it may feel like you're not moving the needle at all, like you're nothing but being ridiculed and misunderstood. But if you have tapped into that fire, and you have faced honestly the futility, and in it you have found that thing that burns within. Oh, now, 
Now you are dangerous, my friends. So do not fear your interior life. Those situations that are unresolved, those people who aren't leaving your life anytime soon, push through all of it. Keep asking questions. How is even this person my teacher? How are they going to teach me? And when it comes to futility, embrace it, go into the heart of it, because there's fire in there. And it's the kind of fire that can sustain you and it can even bring you joy. All that, my friends, from an obscure prayer in the middle of a book, a library of books written thousands of years ago. I hope that you're inspired, my friends. I hope that you're encouraged. I hope that you're comforted. May grace and peace be with you.